0: Hello and welcome to Unseen Being, our monthly show where we talk to artists, scientists and each other about what the hell is happening inside our brains and bodies when we experience the world around us.
1: We explore some of the intangible and overlooked experiences that contribute to the way we feel. What happens at the center of our experiences when we listen to music, walk in nature, sit on our phones, make morning coffees, zone out and get into the flow, or simply
0: dance around the room? All of these tiny micro experiences contribute to the way we feel, act, and behave. So in this podcast, we take you on a mini journey of self-discovery, exploration, and feed your curiosity about some of the most overlooked yet instrumental elements that contribute to your well-being. Consider this an audio handbook
1: curated by artists, scientists philosophers and technologists a critical guide to understanding the well-being of experience in the current age we bring you the latest in scientific discoveries but cut the academic jargon and help enhance your understanding of the way everyday experiences impact you and potentially an understanding of some of the tiny changes you can make to improve the way you feel
0: we are robin and Catherine. And together with the founders of Kindest Studios, a creative science studio that explores the aesthetics of human experience. We look at the neuroscience of art's impact on well-being and human connection and believe that connection to self, others, and the environment is fundamental to human experience. Welcome to this month's show, where the topic is all
1: about the breath. It is such a powerful tool to completely shift our state of being. And while most people breathe about 15 times per minute, that means most of you will breathe 900 breaths over the course of this one hour show. The more we can slow that down, it leads to really profound changes in our emotional, physiological, and mental state. So across the episode, we'll learn a number of things that impact how we breathe, including the cadence and the emotional states of ourselves and those around us. Even the music we hear and attune to can really impact the, the way that we're breathing.
0: So we're going to go on a bit of a journey today. And I hope by the end, you'll have a sense of the power that our natural breath holds, because we can use it as a tool to relax, release, energize, and even connect.
1: So the breath is obviously a really hot topic of focus at the moment. Uh, There's no doubt you will have heard it on a radio show or heard your friends talking about it. Perhaps you've read some literature on it or... You've seen a breathing ball on social media that tells you to kind of breathe in for five seconds as the ball expands and breathes out as the ball contracts. And we are particularly huge fans of the breath here at Kinda Studios. It's actually been the focus of our academic research for the past year. We're looking at how we can create artworks that help people breathe in time with them and effectively how those artworks can reduce people's anxiety and also get people to synchronize with that movement of the piece. For our experience, we worked with Marshmallow Laser Feast and they had some visuals that moved to a specific rhythm. And on top of these visuals, we overlaid a beautiful piece of work from John Hopkins. And we asked participants in this research study to breathe in time with their artwork and effectively synchronize their breathing rate with the artwork itself. And we can provide actually links to the experience in the show notes today, but we're looking to really cultivate this more so and how we can bring these breathing experiences to life to more audiences in a more engaged, artistic, and aesthetic setting. And a lot of this work has been inspired by somebody called George Kutt. George is an interactive artist who's based in Australia, and he started doing some of this work 15 or 20 years ago, creating interactive artworks that help people focus on their breathing. And so we're very happy to say that George is on the show with us today, and we'll be hearing from him a little bit later but we all breathe. And especially in light of COVID days, we are all focusing on the breath a little bit more, but let us start from the top. We have all had our personal experience with breathing. We always like to talk about our lived experience on the show here. So Catherine, I know that you've had your kind of own journey into breath work. So what has some of your experience been to
0: date? I have to say I I completely got converted into breathing and breath work, which sounds crazy because as Robin says, we breathe all the time. And even though I'd been studying human sciences and can dissect a lung, I'd never even thought about it as something I had an active control over or something that could alter my state of being. It was only really when I went to drama school and started exploring embodied practices, you know, physical theatre, how to be in my body, emotions, that I started to learn the power of breath and how tied up it is in our sense of being and our emotions. And in fact, for me, it was an incredibly useful tool. For someone who is always stuck in my head and very rarely in my body, I find things like meditation incredibly hard. But with breath, it's something that really brings my attention back to the body. It stops my mind sort of worrying about the future or being stuck in the past. And for me, it's been an incredibly important tool to learning how to be myself.
1: Yeah. What I really like about the breath is that it's active, as you said. So for people who can't really sit in silence or sit still, it really provides an opportunity for somebody to focus on actually doing something. My kind of entry to breath started with really my kundalini practice years ago. Uh, For those of you who don't know, kundalini yoga is a yogic practice that focuses really innately on the breath. Every piece of movement you do is synced to a breathing technique. And that really led to more of an inquiry to understand scientifically what's really going on in the physiology of the body. But What is breathing exactly? We all breathe every day, all the time. So, what are we talking about here? Really, what we're talking about here is controlled and conscious breathing to pull focus on how you're breathing, which ultimately helps us notice. It puts the mind and the body in a state of harmony or a state of coherence, which we'll get onto a little bit later. So, not that we particularly like to use this word, but it ultimately kind of shows us that our system is, is a bit hackable. We can, we can hack it to really work to its most optimum potential. And ultimately, we, we don't want to make anyone think that we're breathing wrong and add more stress to anyone's day. But it's about these kind of subtle improvements you can make or even just subtly noticing
0: how your kind of emotional state affects your breathing and vice versa. I think that's a really good point, actually, Robin, because breathing really is for everyone. I mean, firstly, we all breathe. You know, air is free. Although, interestingly, we never really question the quality of the air we breathe in, like we might question the water or the, or the food that we eat. Um, but air is everywhere. But it's also a really intimate and sort of highly personal experience for all of us. And you realize that it can actually signal to you your emotional state. It can be a a way of checking in with yourself, bring you closer to yourself. And over time, you become aware of the shifts and the way that it affects how you're feeling. And in return, how you're feeling affects your breathing there are lots of of breathing techniques. And perhaps you'd explain a bit where they come from.
1: Yeah, so ultimately breathing is an Eastern contemplative practice. These yogis have been practicing it for years and years and years. And generally in the yogic tradition, it will be called pranayama. Pranayama ultimately is breathing into the body. Actually, there's kind of in yogic scripture, there's uh, literature to say that We all as humans have a finite number of breaths we're allocated per lifetime. So if we slow down how many times we breathe per minute, we'll ultimately live longer. And while that is obviously kind of an Eastern philosophical thought, there is a lot of science to actually support this, that the slower you breathe, the healthier you'll be. So it's an interesting way to look at it. And now, as I said, there's loads of scientific studies that are backing this up and looking further into using breathwork as, for example, behavioral interventions for people, looking at how perhaps you can give these as courses of treatment instead of putting people on pharmacological drugs. Um, So there's loads of different breathing techniques. We'll get into some of them, but ultimately diaphragmic breathing, where you're breathing into the belly really helps with things like anxiety, depression, pain, and coping with stress. And we're really pleased that breathing seems to have really made it into like the mainstream popularized media. Some of you listening today may have read James Nestor's book, Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art. And this book really popularized breathing, it seems, last year. And it really highlights, for example, how humans have changed over time, the fact that our jaw structures have changed because we don't chew as much as a result of processed foods, and because our jaws have all become smaller when none of us breathe properly. And it also looked at kind of the infamous mouth taping which effectively asked the question, um, should we be taping our mouths at night while we sleep to help us all train ourselves how to breathe through the nose? Which kind of leads to maybe a question we should answer off the top here. You know, should we be breathing from the nose or the mouth? In James Nestor's book, he participated in a study where they basically did a week of, of mouth breathing and a week of nasal breathing. And so what do they find in these, Catherine, and how can we
0: kind of take learnings from this? They found that the forced habit, uh, it sort of negatively impacted markers of health. So his blood pressure skyrocketed, his sleep apnea, that's where you don't get enough oxygen while you're sleeping, worsened. He got a sinus infection and he also just felt awful. And then one of my favourite results was that his snoring increased um, from just a few minutes a night to four hours a night. In short, his nervous system was a huge mess. Right. And
1: so there are multiple reasons why people breathe through their mouth. You know, people have stuffy noses, deviated septums. A lot of the time when you lay down, it blocks your navel passageway. And lots of medications can also cause nasal congestion. That is true. But um, what are the benefits of, of nasal breathing then?
0: Well, if you think about it in short, your nose, I mean, it's designed for breathing uh, and that's that's the first thing really. So it works as a filter. Uh, it filters heat. It, uh, it treats the raw air. Basically, uh, you filter out bacteria, particles and just the actual air going through the nasal cavity can trigger different hormones that flood into our body that do things like lower our blood pressure. So there's even things like the oscillations, the waving of the, of the air in the nasal cavity, increases nitric oxide. And what that means is when it's in the blood, it can pick up more oxygen and nutrients. It becomes, your blood becomes more efficient at carrying these things around. And there's all sorts of wonderful things from when you're singing and humming, which obviously increases this oscillation mm-hmm. and this effect. Now, our nose breathing also adds 50% more air than breathing through your mouth. And this is kind of crucial because what it does is it it gives your heart and lungs a workout. You know, it actually gets them to pump properly, which makes them more efficient. And you increase, again, oxygen by about 20%. And one of my favorite things to come out of a lot of the studies is that it actually can help you store memories. Mm. So they firstly got people to do studies where they did breathing before memory tests and the results went up. And they also found that you remember more words when you inhale rather than words when you're, that you try to remember when you're exhaling. And that's actually because the nasal cavity, because it's also used for smell, has a direct line to the emotional and memory processing center of the brain. Uh, so it's really this sort of rather incredible overlooked organ in the nose that orchestrates all these functions in our bodies to keep us balanced. Mm so
1: we all know that snorer you know maybe your partner snores and you kick them at night um so just um (laughs) or it's you and you just don't know so most of the people who are snoring are breathing through their mouth so we can all train ourselves to breathe through our nose uh you can try some mouth taping just take a little bit of medical tape and kind of put it around your mouth before bed don't eat really close to bedtime, or you can also try um, using a neti pot, you know, those kind of teapots that you put like through one nostril and then it kind of filters out and cleans your nose because we can all breathe through our nose. We just need to train ourselves to do so. Now, one kind of clarifying point, this whole conversation about mouth versus nasal breathing is really across our everyday living. We're not talking about this in terms of controlled breathing practices. So First takeaway, walking around on the street, at home, at your desk, try and breathe through your nose. See if you can catch yourself with your mouth open and try closing it. (laughs) (laughs) So let 's get into the science, shall we? Um, the breathing obviously starts with the heart, and the heart is this incredible organ it 's really the most powerful generator of rhythmic information patterns in the body and really, it acts like this uh, global conductor of the body 's symphony, and it really binds the whole system together and obviously your breathing rate impacts your heart rate and decides how the heart beats but the heart can be a bit of a confusing organ there's lots of going on so catherine can you give us a brief overview
0: of of how it works and how it pumps i'd love to actually it's one of my all-time favorite organs now we all know where our heart is and in fact if you all put your hand over your heart on the left hand side of your chest and take a really slow inhale in Now if you can sense your heartbeat, you should feel it very slightly speed up on the inhale. And as you exhale, you should feel a very slight slow down. Now the thud of your heartbeat is actually the valves within it snapping shut as the muscle that the heart is pumps blood through it. The reason, of course, it's doing this is because it's got to pump our blood round to the lungs to pick up oxygen, and then back round to deliver the oxygen to every cell in our body. Once it's delivered its oxygen, it actually picks up CO2, and that blood goes back around through the heart, back to the lungs, and you exhale the CO2 out. And of course, there's one great system that coordinates this, which Robin, you'd probably like to explain, the ANS. Don't we love a bit of ANS?
1: the ans stands for the autonomic nervous system and autonomic you guessed it is automatic it means we don't have control over it it's involuntary this part of our nervous system controls things like the breath our sweat response our muscles digestion sexual arousal and so as Catherine kind of said as the as we inhale our heart rate accelerates. And as we exhale, it decelerates. And this is connected with two sides of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, the one that needs us to speed up and become alert, and the parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest, the one that allows us to slow down, to renew and to regenerate. And so every time we inhale, it activates this sympathetic nervous system. And every time we exhale, it activates the parasympathetic. That's why you might hear people talking about elongating or focusing on the exhales, because it has this calming and restoring effect. As we said, this autonomic nervous system is automatic, it's involuntary, and what makes the breath so unique is that it's the only function here under our voluntary control. Of course, we all do this unconsciously, but we can control it, which makes it a really powerful intervention tool. And so we see across a lot of scientific studies that are using breathwork that it not only impacts subjective markers of stress, well-being, anxiety, people's pain thresholds and tolerances, but it also increases features of cognition. It kind of opens up a clarity of a channel in terms of your body and mind. And so just remember, we can really consciously intervene on this nervous system, which is which is pretty cool to think about it. So this is why we see different breathing techniques used to regulate different emotional states. Because if we breathe faster, we can become energized. If we breathe slower, we can relax. And these are all related to that nervous system. And so what are some of the most popular things that we see, Catherine?
0: So probably the most commonly used uh, type of breathing is just slow, long, deep breathing where you breathe right into your belly. Imagine like a boat. If you're trying to get to an island in a boat, you can take lots of small, short strokes. You'll get there, but it'll be pretty knackering and might take a while. Or, if you take big breaths, so long, extended, deep strokes, you'll gracefully glide in a couple of strokes to where you're trying to get to. So the main thing really is when you're inhaling is to breathe into the belly. It should expand like a balloon. Most of us get it wrong and we breathe these short breaths almost into our shoulders. You want your whole diaphragm to push down. That way you're really maximizing oxygen intake and it's shown to have huge benefits to your well-being
1: as you inhale, your belly should be expanding. And as you exhale, your belly should be contracting. And if you think about it intuitively, as you breathe in, air fills your lungs and fills your body that your stomach would extend. And as you exhale, the air is leaving your body so your stomach would contract. So let's take a minute and just put some of this into practice. We've thrown quite a lot at you this episode. So take a moment to just get into a comfortable position and close down your eyes if you are somewhere where that's available to you. And just practice breathing deeply into your belly, feeling it expand and then slowly breathing out through that belly as well. And on your next inhale, breathe in through the belly, feel the air starting there, and then breathe more deeply, moving it up into your lungs and chest. And as you exhale, breathe back down through your belly one more time, bringing that breath into your belly, feeling it expand, traveling up through your lungs, and cascading back down through your lungs, and your belly Good. This is how we should be breathing all the time, belly expanding and then contracting with the inhale and the exhale. And what we just practice is a three-part breath where you breathe in through your belly and then into your lungs and into your chest. And that will also help you breathe more slowly if you think about it in those three sections. And so when we're breathing into our belly and our diaphragm, we're activating something called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is something you may have heard about. It's the longest nerve in the body made from thousands of fibers, 80% of which are sensory. It travels all the way from in between our eyebrows down to our pelvic floor. It's like the autonomic superhighway. And it really controls this parasympathetic nervous system. The vagus nerve basically listens to the way we breathe, sends a message to our brain and heart based on how we're breathing. And so if we're slowing down our breathing, we're sending a message to the vagus nerve that our whole system can be relaxed. And it sends those messages, not just to our body, but also to our mind. But You know, these focus on the breath really isn't that necessarily easy to sustain for a long time. And that's why we see people have lots of cues. You know, for example, on social media, there's breathing balls, there's lots of apps that are doing this, how people can kind of focus on an external cue as a way to draw attention to their inner world, um, as well as um, more artworks incorporating this. And so one person who has led this work is George Kutte. He is an interactive artist based in Australia, and he's been practicing artworks with the integration of breath for such a long time. And so we're so pleased to have him on the show today.
2: My name's George Crook. I'm an um, artist in this area of um, interactive art and arts and health, and I guess embodied interaction for the past 20 years. And yeah, they, that work really got started when I. Um, Submitted a proposal to do my doctoral research to explore, um, I guess, creative arts applications for biofeedback technologies. I'd read about biofeedback the year before and was interested in this idea that it was um, an electronic signal that we use to control artworks that's modulated by changes in a person's nervous system. I was working with electronic art and really inspired by electronic music composers that, you know, have a sense of, um, you know, um, a kind of inner landscape that's revealed through sound. And so, this idea of an inner landscape that's literally modulated by your consciousness or aspects of your consciousness was really enticing for me. And I started making and evaluating my own experimental artworks.
1: George's work uses the breath in a completely integrated way. That means the artwork can't exist without the participant. He uses biofeedback techniques, which basically listen to the responses of a person's body. And then the artwork changes as a result of what the person is experiencing. And there's multiple ways to activate this, to use the body as a way of controlling the artwork. And the breath is just one of them. But we asked George in specific about his interest and focus of the breath, where so much of his work is at.
2: I mean, breath is just so fundamental to being alive. Like you know, we—the breath of life. You know, you know, someone's dead when they're not breathing. Um, so, so people understand that connection to us, that to the essence of being alive is contained in breath. You know, it's—it's it's no coincidence that. Um, things like uh, prayer and song and things like that, they're structured in a way that often will, you know, uh, entrain that slow breathing rate at around 10 seconds of a breath cycle. The phrasing of the singing and things like that is structured around to, to produce and elicit that kind of pattern. And that when you're in that space, in that parasympathetic activated space, your body's engaged in a kind of um, recuperation and healing and integration so part of the problem with a lot of the kind of um, stress-induced illnesses we have is that our body's mind doesn't have that opportunity to, to process and integrate so yeah i guess part of the effectiveness of these works that work with breath is one they draw on something that's just intuitive to all human beings and at a poetic and aesthetic level and then also from a kind of pragmatic level, it's helping people connect into themselves.
0: I love what George talks about, this connecting to ourselves, because it's a core feature of a lot of the work we, we've been doing in our recent study at Goldsmiths. I love this idea that George brings up about using it to connect to yourself, because core connection is something that's very core to our studios. Now, George pulls inspiration from across different practices, hum, human-computer interface, science. Like us, he sees the value in being an interdisciplinarian.
2: I grew up in an East Asian household, you know, watching East Asian cinema and visual arts and crafts. And so a lot of these things are kind of infused in the imagination that you, you know, you kind of receive growing up as a child, you know, that kind of imagery you see in things like um, Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism. I, I grew up with these East Asian traditions, but. Actually, what really grabbed me was uh, a kind of a more of a Western empirical way of learning, so learning by doing and also um, a somatic tradition of having an experience, literally th- feeling something in your body and then having that experience structured in a way that you get some some kind of insight from that. And so wanted to work in a way where it was Clear for people to see what was happening. I wanted to do some kind of transparency, and these technologies of what you can measure in changes in heart rate or brain wave and breathing, um, they become a kind of the foundation that you kind of build your artwork on top of. And I guess the thing that I became really interested in was the autonomic nervous system, and that's really the heart of of, of most of my works has been giving people some. Point of entry into this aspect of the nervous system and the extent to which they can learn to voluntarily move between these different ways, uh, these kind of different reflexes.
0: I love this idea that George brings out that it was his desire for self cultivation that that drove him towards science and his exploration and then his own research and the construction of his experiences. I think this lived experience being paramount is so so important and through this quest he's done so many amazing pieces of work he actually talked to us about one of his earlier pieces cardiomorphologies
2: one of the earlier works is a piece called cardiomorphologies Um, the visual component of the work is a series of concentric circles so it looks a little bit like a a target or a mandala and these circular forms expand and contract in time with your breathing the earlier versions used a breath sensor worn around the person's chest and also the increases and decreases in their heart rate you people would see and then hear sounds synthesized sounds that were modulated by as you breathe in and as you breathe out you would see these forms projected on a green in front of you like a floor to ceiling height screen so kinesthetically a a big kind of mirroring response of feeling this shape expand as you breathe in and then contract as you breathe out we may later adapted a version of that for an app that we've been testing at the children's hospital at westmead called bright hearts and that similarly uses this uh image of circles that expand and contract and ripple and become harder or softer according to these changes in heart rate. Another uh, example is a project called the Heart Library Project. And that's uh, in that work, people lie on their backs in a specially made booth and they see a video projection of themselves on the ceiling. And uh, there's these kind of dappled textures of colour and light that move and surge like a tide that's again controlled by changes in the heart rate the other interesting part of that was i would get people to do body maps so i'd give them a diagram of a body and i'd get them rather than talking about their experience i'd get them first just to draw into it so to draw on a part of the thinking and processing of experience that's before language and so we'd c- collect these beautiful images And then people could then look at that image and then if they wanted to, they could talk to us or other visitors about what those visual marks on the paper referred to in terms of their experience.
1: George's pieces sound amazing and I can't wait to experience them ourselves one day. But... It's not just our physiological responses that control our heart. Our physiology is linked to our brain waves and our thought forms. So by controlling our thoughts and trying to control our mind a little bit, we can actually control the way we breathe. So, so because breathing provides this continuous feedback to the brain about our physiology and vice versa, changes in our breath affect our emotions and changes in our emotions or thought forms affect our breathing. So if you think about it intuitively for a moment, if you're feeling anxious, your breath will quicken. You will notice that breath. If you feel excited or you feel scared, the same thing might happen. And normally in kind of our day-to-day experiences, we're not noticing these changes in our breath unless there's these, for example, stress-related changes that really make us notice. And this two-way system is constantly interacting with each other. So just like people will tell you to slow down your breathing, to calm down, you can also shift your thoughts as a way to shift your breath. So if you train your thoughts to be more kind of stable and grounded and positive, then we can also have more Regular, stable, slower breathing. And so these kind of emotional states are rooted in things like gratitude and compassion and kindness. It's not these kind of super high feeling states of excitement and delight and surprise. It's these feeling states that we can almost kind of learn to cultivate across our daily lives on an ongoing basis. And if you think about that, just dropping into that place of gratitude for a second. It is quite a calming place to be in, and it does feel actually quite grounding.
2: Place your attention into this feeling and imagine this feeling of gratitude. Immerse yourself in, this, in a feeling of gratitude for something in your life and see how that alters your heart rate and brings in that pattern and see how it invites you to soften your breathing. This is something I worked with in a recent project called Mathematics. So metta is like loving-kindness meditation. So I took that idea of compassion and loving-kindness and I created a 10-minute, I guess, you know, um, body scan and introduction to the work, which is around this is an experiment to explore how this combination of relaxed, gentle breathing and compassion focus produces a particular heart pattern. So I literally created a a very beautiful uh, uh, but stripped down three-dimensional graph of the heart rate spectrum and you would see slowly over time that morph into different shapes and then you'd see this peak when it would go into that resonant space. And what I usually do when I do these kinds of interactions and guide people into this place of slowness I also then invite them to say, why don't you try voluntarily breaking this now and imagine something quite exciting or stressful and see how that changes. The really important thing you learn from somatics, is it's not just about pushing people into a place, but helping people sense and differentiate and, and play with and explore those differences we're providing people with a sensitivity to explore and move on their own. And the artwork becomes a space for them to feel that movement dramatized or, you know, amplified in in an aesthetically magical way.
0: For me, the power of breath and the ability to be embodied, to be in my own body and quiet my mind is absolutely vital. And, you know, and it is really important, this this set and setting, uh, as George talks about in his work.
2: I did a project, a research project um, called Thinking Through the Body with a group of other um, artists working with interaction and also some Feldenkrais practitioners. And that was one of our key findings that, just getting people to be ready to arrive into themselves is kind of half the work. And then they can be present and notice something really beautiful inside themselves. But if they're not ready for that, they're not going to be able to appreciate that experience. So, And then the other side of that, creating an environment where there's no subconscious looming threats so you know it's a little bit like a kind of interior design feng shui in a way but just subconsciously are people in a safe position in that room you know i think you need to be in a position where you subconsciously feel you're not going to be threatened at any moment or there's not going to be any strange surprises or something like that because we're inviting people into a very vulnerable position so you need to signal in a lot of non-verbal ways that this is a safe space.
1: George has made such an important point about the context in which people are set up in and whether you're kind of breathing with a group or you're breathing alone, providing yourself with that safe space and that contextual environment is so important. And we know that this is, you know, from even aesthetic science, that kind of contextual environment is so important to the attribution of meaning, the attribution to a transformative experience. And ultimately, if you're going to drop into your body, you need to feel in that the external space you're sitting in and that you're present in is a really safe space for you to be in. So uh, don't beat yourself up if you can't kind of drop deep when you're sitting at your office desk, which is still a great time to practice breathing. It's just a slightly different experience. But many, many breathing styles exist. There's hundreds, each have special aspects. You know, as we said at the beginning, some of them are energizing and some of them are relaxing. So understanding your current state and your desired state are important in terms of picking a breathing technique. So, fast breathing is linked to higher rates of oxygenation, and these are stimulating. They're energizing, and they're really positive for when you kind of need to pick yourself up perhaps at the beginning of the day. But um, I think probably is now a good time to drop into some of these breathing techniques, and we really want to give people an experience to walk away from today. So, Before we do this, Catherine, are there any top tips for how people can get
0: themselves best set up for breathing? The best way to breathe is basically just be comfortable. That's the most important thing. So you really can be present in your body. That can be lying down or sitting up. It's really important for the spine, if possible, to be straight, because that allows, obviously, the flow of blood and the flow of energy. And closing your eyes can really help because it automatically activates alpha waves in the brain. And also it allows us to pull our inward focus to put our attention on the breath so we're not distracted by the myriad of things around us.
1: Okay, so let's try a few. And remember that these can really mostly be done anywhere, but use your judgment of where you are today. If you're driving or you're not in a place of a moment to join us, you can always listen and come back for it. But The first breath we're going to try is breath of fire. So breath of fire is a fast, rapid breath. It's really good to use when you're needing to create some heat in your body. If you're into cold water swimming, breath of fire is great. Even just one to three minutes at a time is really useful to kind of shift that state and grab some focus. Breath of fire is a rapid inhaling and exhaling through the nose. And as we said before, as you exhale, your belly contracts, and it's almost as if your belly is... Snapping backwards. And so it's easiest to think about focusing on your exhales and snapping your belly back with each exhale. And it's a rather fast breath that sounds a little something like this. But you can go with your own time. So it's with the mouth closed through the nose, snapping of your belly back on the exhale, and then your belly passively moves outwards on the inhale. So we're going to put on a track and give everyone a little bit of experience of breath of fire. We're gonna do it here together. And so just remember, it's a rapid breath. See if you can time it with the music. Your belly is snapping back on the exhale, breathing through the nose. Deep breath in, and deep breath out. Well done. Okay, so let's move on to kind of a different breathing practice. We just had that experience of something quite energizing. You might feel a little bit hot. You may have felt some heat burn up in your system. You might feel more alert. But slower breathing is obviously quite different. We've spoke a lot about this and it's based on kind of this relaxing quality. And so one of our favorite breathing styles to do that's rooted in slow breathing is coherence breathing. And this is the most widely cited uh, breathing style within scientific literature. It's the one that we use for our recent study. And coherence is really a state of harmony in the body. It's when our whole system is working in synchrony. And so this breathing technique helps activate that. It really enhances efficiency across our body, our minds, and our emotional systems. And so this breathing rate, Varies from each person, but generally speaking, for most people, it's a five or six second inhale and a five or six second exhale. And that's what makes coherence breathing so effective because it's so easy to do. You know, if you think about it, you could do it during a meeting, you can do it while you're at your desk. Some of you are probably already practicing it now. Let's just spend another brief moment for one more breathing exercise of coherence breathing where we're going to put on a track. That's gonna help us synchronize. And one more time, just get really comfortable. Sit upright if you can. Eyes open or close is fine. And just breathing into that belly. And breathing out. Inhaling. Exhaling, inhaling. your breath slightly for a moment. And exhale completely. And just notice the difference you may feel now versus in the previous breath we did and how your body, your nervous system perhaps feels more relaxed, feels balanced, perhaps a bit cooler versus previously it was warmer. But as we said, there's also other ways to get the body into a state of coherence through our thoughts as well. And so emotional coherence, this state of harmonious, sustained, self-modulated, positive emotion can also do the same thing for the body. One thing George's work worked as so well is really uses technology as this facilitator. It uses technology as a way to draw people into their body using those kind of subtle cues that he's been speaking about that pull focus on a specific area of the body or a specific emotion you might be experiencing. This is kind of an interesting point of discussion because when we get to rising trends like the quantifiable self, people using their Apple watches to track their heart rate and their
0: HRV, it can actually serve as a bit of a distraction right absolutely and kind of studios you know we we do believe in technology and we use it a lot but to enhance our experience of the world to you know enhance our functioning as humans what I like to call human first technology and actually if you think about it you know sound is a technology isn't it we use sound and digital cues for all sorts of things and Robin I know we've talked about different sort of VR based experiences that have been really powerful over the pandemic to help people
1: Yeah, exactly. There's uh, one called Resonance, which is a nature-based biofeedback VR experience or or Tree of Life, which basically rewards participants by growing a tree through their use of controlled breathing. And we're seeing this more and more, whether it's a visual cue or whether it's an auditory cue, really amplifying these in beautiful kind of aesthetic ways to give people this reward by breathing correctly. And that's really what the heart of biofeedback is. And it's really beautiful to think that there's so many artists out there who can create these artworks whether visual or sonic cues to help to help do this and and that's what a lot of George's work is obviously doing.
0: So George uses technology intentionally you know to focus attention and of course this feeds into this larger theme of well-being and mental health which I think you'll agree Robin is is really vital right now. One
1: hundred percent. I mean, there's no doubting the fact that, you know, mental health uh, issues are on the rise, things like anxiety, especially. And the breath is a free tool that can be accessed by anyone. And I think that's really important to remember. There's a lot of people who might not feel they need to, can't afford, are turned off by therapy. There's people who don't necessarily like yoga or those types of techniques. And Breathing is so accessible to everyone. It's completely free and practically available to everyone with a body. And what's important is it can be self-directed. You know, it's something that you can do on your own and can actually be quite enjoyable, especially if you think about synchronizing your breathing to a song, for example. We see a lot of kind of physical experiences dealing with the breath, but a lot of digital technologies exist as well. And George has used these both for kind of mainstream populations as well as clinical groups.
2: For a while, I was really focused on presenting work in hospitals. Um, So that work, the Heart Library Project, was conceived right from the start as like where we really want to present this work is in a hospital and exactly for that reason of wanting to engage audiences who wouldn't normally go to art museums or new media art festivals or things like that but that all have some interest in in health so there's this motivation there but we also then wanted to offer a a kind of a non-pathologized non-medicalized experience of self where it wasn't about are you sick or unwell but just about you're alive and just appreciating your breath and and the magic of some of those those reflexes built into our body unfortunately in australia there's just not much funding available for doing that kind of work the kind of resources you need to install and then facilitate and run these kinds of interactive projects that we're talking about um, there's just not much of a willingness to kind of fund that in a long-term kind of way.
0: You know, I, I agree with George's point here about the, the sadness that there's not enough funding available for this type of work, for arts arts and health, um, and exploring it in, in in its full capacity. It's something that, that we notice here in the UK. Things are changing. But, you know, it's funny how we have a school curriculum and absolutely by law Every child in the UK has to spend a certain amount of hours getting their, you know, maths and English GCSE, and also by law has to spend a certain amount of time of hours a week doing PE for their physical health. But mental and emotional health is only really seen as an add-on. It's like a third of the syllabus is is missing. You know, the government say it's being addressed, and at the moment, 370 schools across England are teaching children how to meditate and do breath work techniques, for relaxation. The problem is there's actually 32,000 schools uh, out there. So, you know, it's small steps and, and we really feel it needs to be more.
1: Exactly. If we can educate people at a younger age about the power of using their breath, think about how beneficial that would be. And if we think about all the kids who have been completely uprooted by not being in school, how some of these tools and learning them earlier on can really help people later in life. And I think... The breath, if we think about it, is this kind of beautiful, kind of constant movement. Our body is always in movement through the breath. So, thinking about how you want to move through the world and also remember the impact that has on others. The way I breathe and the way I speak is going to impact the way Catherine's breathing and speaking when I'm with her. It's a sense of synchrony. So, it's a bit contagious. And so, It's not just this kind of interactive artwork that we can breathe a long time with. If we think about our life as this entire interactive experience where we're interacting with ourselves and others, it's interesting to think about how we can play with the breath and see how things in our life might continue to shift and change, just like a biofeedback artwork would.
2: The thing I just always like to stress is just, you know, the power of art to make Um, movement and action feel beautiful, part of what we do when we make an interactive artwork is we create this magic that's attached to particular uh, gestures or actions or changes in our brainwaves or changes in our breathing. And so it's that that magic and enchantment um, where people uh, experience themselves in a really different way. I think that's the really powerful thing. When you're working at this level of embodiment, Aesthetics and kinesthetics is so important in terms of, how, of people's engagement. So that's like, you know, artists uh, have so much to offer in that field in terms of what, how we work intuitively with creating those kinds of experiences and tuning in on particular sensations and um, translating them into movement, into sound, into colour.
0: I think that's a lovely way, really, to close up today's discussion. The point George makes about, you know, artists have so much to offer in this field. They work intuitively creating experiences and, and translating sensations and feelings and and ways of experiencing the world into movement, sound, colour, for us all to be a part of with that shared collective meaning. And breath is so important to part of this. It really is the fastest way to become present.
1: Yeah. And if you think about you being the artist of your own life, kind of you're painting your own life and how you want to move through it. And so see how you can perhaps begin to use the breath as a way to paint, perhaps broader, longer brushstrokes with longer breaths and see how that works out for you. And, you know, we obviously shared quite a lot of information with you here today. So thanks for listening, but if there's one takeaway we have for you, it's it's just start to notice, bring a little bit more attention to the way you breathe. Don't worry about the pace in which you're breathing, but just start to notice it a bit more. And with that noticing, that continued noticing, you might just be able to remember that you can slow down your breath when you need to kind of take a minute, when you need to take a pause before you react and just try and be a little bit mindful of this in your daily life. So, We're going to play you out as we do with some of our favorite tracks, but these ones have been specifically designed today to uh, give you your own experience of some of these breathing techniques. So as you're listening to the rest of the show, let's see if we can put a little bit more into practice and see if you can breathe in time with these tracks and see how your experience of the music and yourself changes and perhaps how you can go even deeper into the music and with yourself so we'll be breathing alongside of you and as we do that we're all going to kind of synchronize together our breath rates will synchronize and all our physiology will in all of our various spaces across the globe and we'll chat more to you about what that synchrony means next month on unseen being but for now enjoy as you breathe through the music and the rest of your day and we'll see you next month